I V M. The Inheritors Podcast Series by Bloomberg Quint. Welcome to The Inheritors by Bloomberg Quint, a podcast series. I am Sonu Bhasin. Today we have with us Rishabh Shroff and Saloni Shroff to talk to us about succession in family businesses. Rishabh is a partner at Cyril Amarchand Mangaldas and is also the co-head of the private client practice. He advises business families and entrepreneurs on various matters of their estate and succession planning. He believes that succession planning is an art, not a science. Saloni, his wife, is an associate at Cyril Amarchand Mangaldas and is part of the corporate governance team. As part of this, she advises listed companies on aspects of corporate governance and compliance. She even worked very closely with the Kotak committee. Welcome, Rishabh and Saloni. You've just become parents less than a year ago. Uh, how is parenthood treating you, Rishabh? Thank you, Sonu. Firstly, thank you very much for inviting me for this uh, podcast series. I'm very excited to be part of it. And I'm delighted also that Saloni can join us in this uh, initiative. So like you rightly said, we had a baby just eight months ago. So fatherhood has been uh, fun so far. So like we said, generation five in the business is born. So we had a daughter and she already comes to office at this age right now. So she comes to meetings, she comes to office, she's sort of getting into the whole legal business from an early age. So I think it's great that we can do this together as a family and just sort of groom the next gen uh, together. Lovely. Uh, Saloni, so who keeps awake at night? Is it you or is it Rishabh? I think uh, both of us uh, are taking that uh, responsibility very seriously and we're uh, both equally chipping to it. But I have to say I am, of course. Of course. So one fun fact is that I'm actually applying all the work I do to my own family as well. So Saloni and the baby both are American. So we discuss a lot of tax planning for the family as a fun dinner time conversation. So I started applying what I do for other families in my own context as well. So that's a fun fact. Yes. And, you know, as I've been speaking with uh, you, what strikes me is the fact that your entire family, hmm. uh, not you are the third generation. Fourth. Fourth generation. And... Uh, each, each one of you has had an initiation into the family business, if we say the legal profession as a business. Your fifth generation is already part of the family business, your niece and now your daughter. Can you talk to us a little about your own initiation into your family business? Sure, happy to. So luckily, I was born into a lawyer family. So law was in my blood from a very early age. So growing up in the 90s at home, sort of economy was booming, firm was doing very well, dad was full time in the business and sort of doing a lot of things. So the founding and the grooming I had was at a very early age about just being part of a business, the dinner time conversations, going to office, sort of sitting in meetings from a very early age. So I think that initially the business started for me very, very early, not formally when I joined the firm in 2007, but just from when I was just knew what the book was for getting into the whole legal sort of industry. So I think I joined the firm formally around September 2007 after finishing my law from LSE. And since then, it's never looked back. So I joined the firm formally in the project finance practice. So I did my grounding in basics of project finance, loan documentation, infrastructure projects, road projects, tolls, etc. So the grounding I got was on very long-term contracts, dealing with banks, dealing with lenders. So I think that helped to put things into perspective about 
how it really works in practice, what the economy is doing, what clients want to look for and those kind of things. And then I sort of moved towards the corporate side and the family business side of it, maybe about three or four, after, three or four years after that in a more formal capacity. Okay. Uh, you do say that you grew up mm. uh, seeing your dad at work. You also grew up seeing your dad dealing with clients. And as a result, your clients have seen you growing up. Does it actually bother them that the child that they have seen grown up is now advising them? And do you think that it's, it is a problem? Is your daughter going to go through the same problem? Good question. So I think it does come up a lot in practice, sort of people my dad used to work with when he was in his early days, starting off generation, sort of seniors at that point of time, now the next generation of those families are getting involved with the firm. So it's always uh, good to see sort of people looking at you in a different light, advising them professionally. They sort of deal with me, deal with my dad. I think ultimately they go on merit. So while the introduction may come that I am Cyril Shroff's son and that sort of I'm part of his team and things like that, ultimately it's what you deliver to them and what you can sort of do for them. So I think initial discussion may be sort of that, okay, I'm his son, but then, okay, how can you help me? This is my problem. I want a succession plan. I want a corporate M&A done. I want a loan documentation done. Can you do it? Yes or no? And that's when I think your competence steps into that discussion and then you take over as normal professional in that case. So I think family basically acts as the introduction to the thing, then it's all up to you on your merit. Good. Um, Saloni, uh, you don't have a problem with you know, the firm's clients have uh, seen you grow up, but you are a new entrant into the family business. Uh, how has your initiation as the outsider who's now an insider and is part of the family business with the name, any experiences that you'd like to share with all of us? Yes, of course. So I think, um, I have the advantage of being married into the family. So one is that I don't come in with that baggage. So people don't expect me to have it from the very first day, unlike Rishabh and his sister Paridi, who were born into it and picked up a lot by osmosis, and people have those expectations. But at the same time, I think people uh, have expectations that I live up to a certain standard. So I think that's every day a, a new challenge that I face, and it's quite exciting and keeps me on my toes. Um, I think that not coming from a legal background and having that, you know, that upbringing, um, I bring something new to the table. I think that's, um, that's something which people look uh, at me for or, um, you know, in terms of my own learnings, in terms of how I can look at a certain problem in a different light. And when I look at the both of you, you're, both of you are young. And, you know, it's actually sometimes a little difficult for me to reconcile you with as the head of this, you know, one of the largest uh, law firms of the country who advises a lot of well-known people on matters of estate planning and succession planning. Uh, what are some of the typical problems that you see that patriarchs face when they want to get successors into the family business. And now I want you to speak as, uh, as, as a person who advises clients and therefore is able to tell our listeners about problems that patriarchs have. So good question. So in no particular order, some of the problems we see are as follows. 
I think one is that there is no acceptance at the senior levels, usually the patriarchs who are 50, 60, 70, that something needs to be done. So I think they believe they are immortal. They believe they have all the right answers, that they're sort of doing the right thing for the business, no matter what the rest of the family may think or the professionals may think. So one thing I see missing in a lot of senior patriarchs is desire to change in that way. So they believe they have all the answers. They don't even listen to the kids who listen to the next gen in the family business or the professionals and sort of they miss out good ideas, they miss out opportunities. They don't modernize as, as fast as they should. So I think that's one sort of big lacuna we see typically advising in family businesses. The other problem that I think a lot of us uh, see from the outside is that the whole culture issue comes into it because the youngsters have a world education. Mm -hmm. They are exposed to, you know, new viewpoints around the world. Mm -hmm. And then they come back and, you know, they're expected to go back into traditional manufacturing, boring businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, how is, is that also a problem that you see? Yeah, so building on my first point, I think the major problem in our Indian culture and the family business is that it's very top-down. We don't have accountability from seniors to juniors, only sort of down to up. So I think because of that fact, I think like you were saying right now, people come back with these lovely ideas from overseas, they want to modernize the business, they want to do things in a completely different way from what their fathers used to do. They can't. They are stuck with the same management team. They are stuck with sort of getting the patriarch's approval. They don't have the infrastructure resources. So they get kind of stuck and frustrated in the middle. So you see lots of next-gen breaking out, doing their own thing, either within the confines of the business, but a new vertical being set up just for them, also leaving the business altogether outright. So that does seem to be happening more and more these days which is why I think the source of the solution has to be the patriarch himself has said that, look, we need to do something differently. What can we do? Give me your best answer. So taking now coming back to your own example, you came back into a hundred year old startup, as you like to call your firm. There is a lot of traditionality that comes into it, but there is also a new viewpoint that Saloni and you bring into the business. Have either of you run into a culture wall? Has, uh, 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 you know, Saloni is an outsider. I will speak uh, about her experiences as well. But from you, any particular, any particular culture wall, any particular issue that you've had to handle? Sure. So I think one big thing is the age factor, like you mentioned. So most of the partners in a firm are 40, 45. They're ranked as Asia's and India's best in whatever they do. And sort of while I'm sort of there as the founder's son, I also need to be seen as a peer group for most of them. So we work jointly on matters together, leading the discussion either on either side, either me or them, sort of working on complex legal problems. So I think I mean, the issue is getting over the age concern as soon as possible and getting to more of dealing on the issue on the merit and sort of being seen as an equal professional to them in, in many ways. So broadly across the firm, we define it as two wheels of a bicycle, the founder family and the non-founder family. So we want both bicycle wheels to be equal, equally competent. We want them to sort of work together in a harmonious way, go in the same direction together as a cycle should, not the opposite direction. So one thing we're doing very consciously as a firm is making the next gen work very closely with the non-founder family members of the firm as well, including Saloni, including my sister. And um, Saloni, you not only relocated from New York to Mumbai when you married uh, Rishabh, but you also gave up your uh, studies as an art historian 
and took up boring legal studies, right? Um, how difficult was it for you to get initiated into a new business? I ask from two points of view. One, a different kind of a business and two, a woman in a family business. Okay, thank you, Basin, for that lovely and loaded question. I think uh, I would add there are three aspects to it. I think the cultural change coming from New York to Bombay um, wasn't uh, too bad, actually, because the firm, it's so professional. Um, our managing partner, Papa, he is uh, such a visionary that he's tried to keep the firm as per um, international standards. And so that, that shift was quite fluid. I mean, I don't think there's any... Uh, transitional difficulty I had in that aspect. Uh, secondly, I think leaving uh, behind the studies I had before, which is a liberal arts background, and coming into law was nothing new per se. So that's why I was never, um, I never had a, open, a, a closed mind towards it. I, I think, um, as I said earlier, that the, uh, I, I always thought that I could bring something new to the table. And um, I would, I would hopefully that's how it comes out is that I add an extra edge to what the law brings um, when dealing with clients and all. Um, and to answer the... Uh, the gender question. The gender question. I think a uh, woman in the business has never been an issue because I have seen um, my mother-in-law, she pretty much handles the entire firm at par or sometimes with more responsibility with my father-in-law. So I don't think gender has ever been questioned in our family. I see uh, Rishab's sister Paridi and uh, the kind of role she plays, the kind of responsibility she has um, in terms of leading the firm as well in the future. Uh, so I don't think gender has ever been an issue. And besides all of that, uh, in the workplace, um, it's not even 50-50. It's actually 60-40, I can say, at some point uh, for uh, the workforce as in the, at the partner level and our associates. They're about, uh, I think, more than 50% uh, of our workforce is actually women. Yeah, you know, actually, that's one thing that strikes me whenever uh, I've had a conversation with either Rishabh or you or even your mother-in-law. Uh, the fact that uh, your firm is so gender neutral. In fact, it is gender biased towards the fairer sex. And it was never by design. It was actually purely on merit and competency. Yes. And this is something that is uh, that actually uh, is like a shiny example in this whole area of family businesses where women typically are kept out of the core family business. Uh, is this a philosophy that you develop knowingly, consciously, or is it just something that has happened and uh, it's, it's perpetuated over a, a period, period of time? So, Rishabh, when you've grown up, you've said that you've spent your birthdays on, uh, at the office, you've cut your cakes at the, at the office. Uh, I suspect that your daughter's first birthday cake will also be cut at uh, your office. Maybe she's a New Year baby. So she's a New Year's party on that day. New Year's party on that day. So, um, so how 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 do you actually take this, and do you also take this philosophy and try and get some of your other clients to also buy into it? Let me answer this from the pers in my professional perspective. So actually, more often than not these days, most of our succession planning works actually with the next-gen spouses and the next-gen daughter-in-laws and the daughters. 
So in just in the last couple of months, for example, there have been a lot of initiatives from people like FIKI, EO, YPO and places like that about creating awareness workshops and training sessions for women on what they should be knowing about, you know, what's a will, what's a trust, what's a joint family, in case something goes wrong to your husband, what can you do, what rights do you have, in case you want to get divorced, what can you do, what happens for adoption, what happens to your kids. So I think there is more and more growing awareness and sort of desire for knowledge coming from women themselves about wanting to know, you know, what they are involved in. They don't know whose house they live in, who owns that house in the case the husband gets hit by a bus, who's going to pay the bills the next day, who's going to sort of take over the business at that point of time. So we are seeing just very recently more and more of a growing trend towards that kind of issue being addressed. The problem is that given that they may know all this knowledge, but applying it in the context of a Hindu, Gujarati, Marwadi kind of family is pretty difficult for them. They may know what rights they have, but what can they do about it? Most assets sit in their husband's name, it's in their in-laws' names, in their parents' name in many cases. So they can't really do a succession plan or something until they get the boys involved. And they have their own concerns on the business, they have liabilities, they have family dynamic issues, they have next-gen uncle, aunties, everybody involved. So we don't see alignment of action between both the male and the female happening in a very smooth way. Do you wish you were smarter? Well, so do we. But the next best thing? We could make you sound smarter. And to help you with this endeavor, we are Simplified, a podcast uh, that attempts to break down the complex world around you with a little knowledge, a lot of poor jokes and a ton of random trivia. Episodes out every Monday on the IVM Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. See ya! Moving on to a slightly different question. Here we have the case of two very willing inheritors uh, who have come into the business. I'm talking here of you and your sister. Saloni has been initiated into the business. But I'm sure that you've come across a lot of your clients where you have a case of uh, the next gen not wanting to come into the family business. What would uh, a patriarch do in situations like those? So that usually keeps a litigation team very busy. So more and more these days... But litigation, I'm sorry, you're a lawyer. But litigation really doesn't help anybody. I agree. So again, this is the extreme cases that we do see more often than not is that there is rebellion within the ranks in a family business. So the next can typically get so frustrated that I can't do what I need to. I have no access to capital. I can't professionalize. I can't get my management team to come in. And they rebel. I think they said they've had enough. They wasted 20 years in the business and nothing has moved on. So I'll just say, you know, let's let's do something else. Let me sort of attack the business, see what I can get. Let me do my own thing in life. So you see in the papers, there's a lot of next-gen rebelling, which is sort of the extreme case of what can go wrong. But I think in a more usual scenario, it is that there could be some friction that come into the business at that point of time, which is where people like we normally get involved and say that let's discuss in an open way what can be done to the to improve succession, what can be done to improve conversations. So we call it permissible conversation. So we sort of act as a glue in that case and say that let's talk father to me, son to me, whoever to me, and let's sort of create that open dialogue between the family about what is going wrong, what can be done, and let's find a way together to address those problems. So... So I find it uh, amazing that a lawyer is actually helping uh, uh, families not to fight. You're not, uh, you're not, you're not going to be generating business that way, Rishabh. Well, it keeps my litigators unhappy, but it keeps my <laughs> it team happy. So it's a different department happy. in the, in the yes. thing. Okay. How sure are you that your daughter is going to also want to become a lawyer? 
So that's one thing Saloni and I fight about all the time. So being a lawyer in a, in a family business, I would be very, very happy if my daughter joins the law, becomes a professional in her own right and becomes all the way as a normal career path. I think Saloni wants a little bit more of an open-ended architecture for that. She may want to do liberal arts, she may want to do science, she may want to do whatever. So the world is fully open to her. So only time will tell what happens in that case. And uh, Saloni, um, uh, which country has better education system, the US or the UK? Where would you like to send your daughter? Oh boy, that's always a point of contention between us, as you know that very well. Uh, I think we'll leave it to Tarani at some point. But of course, I'll always offer the US. The US. And I think good old Bombay is good for now. Good old, yes, yes. And, and this assumes only one baby. We're going to have many, as we say. So I ultimately, see. hopefully, one becomes a good lawyer. Uh, so, Saloni, you are the daughter of a very illustrious family. Your family is very, very well-known jeweler family of uh, India. And you are the daughter-in-law of an illustrious family. In a sense, you're lucky because you're being able to... Uh, create an identity of your own in your in-laws business. Not many women have that opportunity. There are a lot of women who, of illustrious families, daughters of illustrious families, who get married into equally large and well-known families, but they don't have the opportunity of creating an identity of themselves. They their identity actually revolves only around the identity of their husband. What can women do to help them create an identity of their own? So I think there, I'll answer that in two parts again. One is that um, the family I'm married into is of course that of lawyers and it's a profession, right? So even if I do have a big surname at the end, it's ultimately my... Uh, own competency which is going to uh, be uh, taken seriously. So I think that's the first thing which my in-laws have also told me, that whatever it is, it's ultimately your own professional identity that's going to help you in the long in the long run. We can only give you the platform to such an extent. That's one part of it. Um, I think for other people, I think it's changing. I think there's some women who uh, are getting the opportunity in their own family business, you know, either a small role to play, and they're taking it on very seriously and they want to have an impact. So that's why they're working very hard at, you know, making whatever small nest they're given or big nest they're given to really make it work for them. So they're also building their own identity. It's not just, they're not there just by privilege, but making it... Um, uh, making it a place that they can leave their mark for. Um, at the same time, many people are, many women are just uh, going on with their own ventures uh, because um, they feel like they want to leave behind, they want to leave a leave a mark, have an impact uh, in a different way, and create a create a name for themselves. So I think. Um, uh, the only uh, advice I can give, which is not really even advice, I think is just following your gut. And it's also um, really taking it seriously that you're not doing it as some pastime, but are actually trying to um, make a difference somewhere. And talking about uh, the, uh, the aspiration helps, talking to the family about the fact that they too want to do something would help. Yes, definitely. I think um, if you uh, 
convey your uh, aspirations up front, um, they'll only be playing a supporting role to you, right? So, and it makes it makes their your expectations towards what you want very clear, and what their expectations are as well. So, they'll some at some level you'll be matching uh, both of your expectations. Yeah. So, so it's all about communication yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and, you know, communication is important, whether it is within family, whether it is uh, within an extended family. And uh, Rishabh, is this communication in your experience also play a role in better succession planning? Oh, absolutely so, no. So what we discover in speaking to families, especially when it gets a little bit more deep into the conversation, is that communication is very superficial. So while families may be very happy on the surface and they get along and they go for great holidays and things together, but when it comes to discussing issues of business, I think communication is almost non-existent. So we typically we see in cases, doing a matter live actually right now, discussing with the family generations, three, one, two, three are involved. It's a large business uh, based in Bombay and large conglomerate. And we've seen that there is no communication top-down, down-to-up, across the brothers, across the siblings. It's always superficial. That nobody, nobody talks to anybody, is it? About issues of business. No, nobody knows what the vision of the business is long-term. Nobody knows about the succession, even the outlook, if not an actual answer is going to be the next inheritor of the business. Nobody knows about you know where we want to be in 10 years from now. So I think it's... Um, just surviving day to day, there is no deeper thought about getting everybody aligned on the same page and getting in place a joint harmonious approach to how the business should be run. Right now, it's just surviving just by momentum, not by any design. So communication cannot be forced upon people. Uh, you can get people together to sit in a room, but you can't force them to speak. Um, and if communication about business breaks down, mm -hmm. uh, it means that does it also mean that communication between family has broken down or is the communication breaking down about business a result of the communication between family uh, breaking down? So a couple of points on that. So whilst we see families are happy on the surface and they talk and they're very nice to each other in social and other settings, but when it comes to discussing issues of business, they don't know what to do. They mix up the baggage they have on the family side along with what they take to the boardroom and take to their business when they go. So what we call it, they don't know how to fight rationally. So every issue on business that comes up, they mix up, you know, you didn't come to my wedding, you didn't do this for me, you didn't give me this food or that food. I think they mix up out of those emotions and those consequences with what should be the right rational answer for the business not for their personal situation. So we don't see that barrier being created mentally for themselves about what to do at home and what to do in the business. So yeah, communication is important in a family. And uh, I was reading somewhere that uh, families actually work like teams. In large businesses, you have teams and you have a team leader and you have various roles being done by various team members. Uh, what your experience about family is working as a team? So somebody far wiser than me once said that treat your family like a business and your business like a family. So just applying that same philosophy, I came across a wonderful book a few weeks ago. It's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Len Lenconi. So he basically said that as a management unit, as a board or sort of senior leadership in any company, any sort of unit of leadership, there are certain dysfunctions that typically happen over there, which create, which sort of prevents them from doing the best they can. And if you apply the same philosophy to a family unit or a group of siblings, a group of next gen, a group of whoever it is in a family business, I think the same principles can apply to their situation as well. So, for example, 
the first dysfunction he says is absence of trust and that's very clearly happening in many toxic family business situations so you don't trust each other across generations you don't know who the competence of the family members are and he says the deep reason for that is lack of vulnerability so you're not really exposing who you are exposing your true self in a family business so what typically they see is just a very superficial image of what that person would like other people but to see him as Rishabh, Rishabh, but in a family your vulnerability cannot be hidden in a family when you've grown up together however much you may want to hide from each other the vulnerabilities are seen mm-hmm. so is it that families actually take advantage of each other's vulnerabilities that is one part of it and the second part of it is that families don't embrace the difference in vulnerability other people have so they want to be seen as equally competent because families want to be socialist but the markets are capitalist so everybody believes everybody is an equal success everybody is an equal sort of competent person and that is never going to be the case so they, they don't embrace differences easily as they should so not every family member would want to be a socialist yeah. uh, it's only uh, uh, the, the pe- parents will want socialism the brothers may want capitalism and the markets may want capitalism may- okay 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 so to come back to what you were talking about vulnerabilities mm. um and that the critical part of it is role modeling by the patriarch so the patriarch or the matriarch leader of the family unit says that i'm going to sort of reveal my true self i'm going to tell about my inhibitions my problems you know what's driving my decision making you know why do certain thing that creates the environment for next also say that okay i understand what you are doing how can i supplement where are my complementary skill sets where is my brother better at this where is my sister better at this so i think creates the environment to allow them to prosper and embrace differences much more openly much more easily that's the first dysfunction he says second is very, very critical to what you were saying earlier is the fear of conflict so typically family businesses are very taboo about discussing issues of succession discussing issues of tricky business issues about opening up some of the most sensitive sacred cows in a way so they may agree in a meeting superficially that okay it's a great plan succession plan is okay you know i believe that you're doing the right thing but ultimately in their mind is going to be that like how can i broach this with my father or my leadership or my md or whoever it is so Indian businesses are not very good at discussing things in an open and transparent uh, and way. Is, uh, and this actually could it also have to do a little about the culture because it is our Indian culture. Correct. It's ingrained in us. Yes. Don't question your adults. Absolutely. Right. And then when we have youngsters coming back mm-hmm. and questioning their father that you know why is the office being run like this? The father says, "Speak only when you're spoken to." i i know what to do so it, how 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 can culture be changed overnight so again somebody far wiser said indian businesses are like the military it's a very top down structure so you got a general at the top you got lieutenants and the soldiers and there's very little feedback going up to the sort of generals and leadership so similar case for any family business that there is no top down and up down communication as well so which is why people can't in a sort of non judgmental manner in a way discuss issues affecting the business even broadly without sort of coming across as attacking your father attacking your senior uh, family members so that something has to be i think again top down led that op- be open with your kids and let them be open to you as well sort of a good lesson many families should hopefully um, take back home so yeah and the other thing that one comes across is this commitment issue you know commitment to the business commitment to uh, the family how 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 do you see that in playing out in various families that you work with rishab 
Good question. So this is the fourth dysfunction that Patrick spoke about in his book. And he said it's actually a root sort of very large cause about why family units don't really succeed. Is that, like we were saying earlier, there is no transparency or no sort of harmonious plan agreed between them. So who is being accountable for the business? And again, mixing up issues of home and the business together. So is your business failing because something going wrong in the bedroom or something happening in the boardroom? So there is no real separation about issues being identified, which leads to the business also suffering in a way. So I think it's a deeper discussion about are families for the business or is a business for the family? So in terms of what you do day to day, how the business functions, who is accountable from the family and who is not? And then vice versa, where does the management of the business step into the situation about holding the business accountable for results? Oh, good, good. Thank you, Rishabh. And thank you, Saloni. And it was a pleasure talking to you. And we hope that we will have these conversations in the future as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Inheritors podcast series by Bloomberg Quint. Did you know that Parsis in Mumbai, instead of being left at the Tower of Silence after they die, are now cremated? And why? Because a cow fell sick in the early 1990s. Did you know that the smog in Delhi is caused by something that farmers in Punjab do and that there's no way to stop them? Did you know that there wasn't one gas tragedy in Bhopal, but three? One of them was seen, but two were unseen. Did you know that many well-intentioned government policies hurt the people they're supposed to help? Why was demonetization a bad idea? How should GST have been implemented? Why are all our politicians so corrupt when not all of them are bad people? I'm Amit Varma, and in my weekly podcast, The Seen and the Unseen, I take a shot at answering all these questions and many more. I aim to go beyond the scene and show you the unseen effects of public policy and private action. I speak to experts on economics, political philosophy, cognitive neuroscience and constitutional law so that the insights can blow not only my mind, but also yours. The Seen and the Unseen releases every Monday. So do check out the archives and follow the show at seenunseen.in. You can also subscribe to The Seen and the Unseen on whatever podcast app you happen to prefer.